It's not that um, pseudoscience and superstition and uh, new age so-called beliefs and fundamentalist zealotry are something new. They've been with us for as long as we've been, been human. But we live in an age based on science and technology with formidable technological powers. And if we don't understand it, and by we I mean the general public, if it's something that, oh, I'm not good at that, I don't know anything about it, then who is making all the decisions about science and technology that uh, are going to determine what kind of future our children live in? Just some members of Congress? But there's no more than a handful of members of Congress with any background in science at all. There's two kinds of dangers. One is that we've arranged a society based on science and technology in which nobody understands anything about science and technology. And this combustible mixture of ignorance and power, sooner or later, is going to blow up in our faces. I mean, who is running the science and technology in a democracy if the people don't know anything about it? And the second reason that I'm worried about this is that science is more than a body of knowledge. It's a way of thinking, a way of skeptically interrogating the universe with a fine understanding of human fallibility. If, if we are not able to ask skeptical questions, to interrogate those who tell us that something is true, to be skeptical of those in authority, then we're up for grabs. Hi everyone, welcome to the Probably Cancel podcast. My name is Bridget and I'm one of your hosts. In today's episode, we're going to be talking about COVID and imperialism, as well as a bit of a critique as to how the liberal left and even many communists have been handling COVID discourse in the past two years. We are talking big picture and there's a lot of ground to cover, so this will be part one of at least two parts. This one is talking about science, imperialism, and public narrative, and the second episode will be more about the entities behind COVID policies and their plans for utilizing COVID-19 to expand the surveillance state, technofascism, and global imperialism, so look out for that one in the coming weeks. This is going to be an episode that ruffles a lot of feathers, so please take care of yourselves however you see fit. You may find yourself agreeing with a lot of it and disagreeing with other areas, and I encourage internal debate. Uh, the purpose of this podcast is to talk about things that are often considered off-limits within the left, and I'm really glad that we had the opportunity to have this conversation. I also have a lot of respect for the comrades who joined me for this discussion. I know in recent weeks, the focus has shifted from COVID to what's happening now in Ukraine, but I promise you this subject is still very relevant, especially as new variants may continue to emerge, new data is analyzed, and Big Pharma, DARPA, the World Economic Forum, and the Department of Defense grapple for our rights. So I hope people will listen to these episodes because it's a really important topic, one of the most pressing issues of our generation, actually. And by the way, before I even get started, I should mention all of us in this episode are vaccinated, just in case anyone was curious. <laughs> Make sure to subscribe to our podcast to keep updated on new episodes. We also have a sex trade exit fundraiser going on with shirts, bags, and posters for sale. All proceeds go towards raising exit funds so people may get help with exiting prostitution. I'll leave that link in the show notes as well. 
And you can become a patron on our Patreon if you'd like to support our work, but of course, no pressure. So with all that out of the way, I hope you enjoy this episode. Hi everyone, I'm here today with comrades Hassan, Kings, and Sam, and we are going to be talking about science within capitalist society and how anti-imperialists can approach science and technology as they rapidly develop within the hands of the imperialists. We will also talk about aspects of COVID that I think often get left out of our discourses, and we will touch on what we may be able to expect in the coming years. I'm sure that we, speaking here today, don't all agree with each other on everything, uh, but that should make for an interesting discussion as well. And I'm looking forward to approaching these topics with an open mind, most of all. So thank you all for being here. Could you please all introduce yourselves to our audience? Hassan, you can go first. Yeah, thanks for having us. My name is Hassan. Uh, I'm a Marxist organizer with the People's Anti-Colonial Press. I have a PhD in biomedical sciences. Uh, so I'm excited to talk about this. Um, the way liberals approach science is absurd and ridiculous. So I'm looking forward. Awesome. Thanks for being here. And Kings, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Kings. I'm a fourth year uh, PhD candidate, uh, biomedical sciences as well. Um, I am a Pan-Africanist, part of the AAPRP. Um, also do uh, local organizing in the IE with uh, organizations like Feed the Bach, also Next Gen United. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, excited to talk about COVID again. If you've probably seen me some of my stuff in earlier podcasts, uh, like on the last podcast I had, on the Blackout podcast. But yeah, always good to talk about COVID and try to uh, dispel some of the mainstream narratives that are going around, especially from the liberal uh, side of things. Awesome. Yeah, thanks. I, I should list some of your previous podcast appearances in the show notes so people can go and view those if they want to because they're really fucking good. So yeah, thanks for being here. And Sam, could you please introduce yourself? Yeah, I'm a podcaster in recovery. Um, I was the co-host of Twink Revolution podcast for uh, most of COVID and now I'm just in the discourse, um, not as a podcaster anymore. <laughs> Congratulations for getting out. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I'm a, I, I was a fan of Twink Rev, and I'm hoping for like a, a reunion episode, maybe one day. But <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So thank you all for being here. I guess we can just get right into it. I wanted to start off by talking about science itself and going over the question of is science neutral and how does science even relate to class society? Yeah, I'll start us off here and feel free to jump in. But to understand science, just just believe it. That's all you need to know. Yeah, just, just, believe, just, it. just believe whatever they tell you on TV. Believe whatever Fauci is saying. That's, that's, that's exactly what science is. No, but to understand uh, science, we need to kind of step back a little bit um, and look at like the Marxist analysis analysis in general. There's something in Marxism uh, known as the base superstructure relationship. The base can be referred to the means of production, the relations of production, basically the economy and, and how we all relate to the economy. And the, super, the superstructure is everything else, all aspects of human society. The base informs the superstructure and then the superstructure maintains the base. So it's like a dialectical, cyclical relationship. 
Um, but so some more detail into the superstructure. The superstructure can include all kinds of things. For example, religion, government, law, uh, science is part of the superstructure. And the superstructure will always be informed by how the base is maintained. When the capitalists are in power of the economic base, certain changes appear inside the superstructure. When the working class is in power in the economic base, certain changes appear in the superstructure. So to give an example, uh, take religion. Religion isn't inherently, doesn't inherently belong to one class or another. If the capitalists are in power, you can imagine like evangelical or Christianity or Wahhabism. And from the anti-imperialist perspective, religion can be used in the forms of, say, liberation theology or the Islamic resistance in Iran. Government can be one or the other, right? Like government isn't neutral or inherently evil or inherently good. You can have a bourgeoisie democracy, what we see in like the U.S., or you can have a dictatorship of the proletariat, which you see in socialist countries. Of course, law is part of the superstructure. From the capitalist side, you have you know the white supremacist police state. But science, similarly, changes or has a perspective inside the superstructure, depending on the base. And it's not even... We don't even have to analyze science within the capitalist system from the perspective of the bourgeoisie or the working class. You can understand science throughout history. Science had a particular form in slave society, a particular form in field society, a particular form in capitalist society. Just as an example, in the time of Newton, what was unknown was just pointed to as God. And even in Newton's own writing, he would analyze a bunch of things and whatever he couldn't analyze, he would just say, oh, that's God. Obviously, that wouldn't be science right now, but... That was science back then. So science changes with history. Science changes with the perspective of the ruling class. Of course, in feudal times, the Catholic Church was kind of in power. So it had its own influence inside science. So science itself is not just a body of knowledge. It's it's a way of understanding the world. It's an investigative method for understanding the natural world. Until, I mean, throughout most of human history, science and philosophy were combined. Like philosophy was the investigation of just everything, of knowledge in general. Science as a specific field kind of separated out of philosophy as, the, as focusing on the natural world. But again, yeah, science is not just like a list of facts like a lot of liberals have you believe. It's the search for truth. Right? You can even see Marxism itself as a science. Marxism tries to understand how the world works and, and tries to change the world through revolution. But yeah, a, a lot of aspects in society have informed us and ha- have created a warped definition of science. Like, I think we all grew up on Facebook and saw that page, we all fucking love science. And that <laughs> yeah. was literally just a bunch of facts and memes. And, and really, like, people grew up thinking... You know, that's what science is. I don't know if you guys have other thoughts before I go on. You know, that's that's the funny thing, because when you see on Twitter, it's the same thing. You know, whenever it's about anything scientific, it's always like a random fact or like a, yeah. uh, maybe something about in the wild with an animal or something like that. And it's, you know, it's never the nitty gritty about, you know, and not, not even necessarily nitty gritty. It's never anything sort of in depth in terms of explaining the processes in terms for finding out certain findings, you know, or certain research breakthroughs, right? They just kind of give you the headline and that's it, right? But whenever Mm -hmm. it comes to anything that's like a pop culture sociology take about some type of oppression, you have like uh, 50,000 different rad libs, conservatives alike, all giving you a breakdown of how this social phenomenon occurs. But 
you never get that for quote unquote the science, at least the ones that deal with the natural world. You never really get that type of conversation or those type of threads that get uh, posted. So it's kind of, I think that plays into the whole, the fact that I've always said this for years. And I think and people have asked me to ride on this, but uh, I haven't had the time to really ride. But it's like, I've always talked about how a lot of the West is just scientifically illiterate. Yeah, like they don't know how to engage science. They don't know how to uh, analyze science. So when, like, when they get presented with scientific evidence, it's hard for them to actually break down what's wrong with it, what could be done better. Uh, what's going on in the research aspect. So if it's like, if it's something that doesn't feel their already preconceived bias, they'll just shrug it off and, oh, it's wrong. And this study shows it's why it's wrong, as opposed to looking at both studies and actually seeing what they're both talking about and where the deficiencies are with each and which one actually has a better and stronger conclusion. Like people can't actually do that. Like they can't actually do that. So it gets just gets into a citation contest, which is kind of just how a lot of, uh, you know, sociology and philosophy uh, discussions go, just who cites the most what, you know what I mean, like actual impact or relevance of what they're talking about. It just goes out the window. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, I feel like science is the new like fascism kind of label where like it's used to like be a trump card without any actual facts to hold up the argument. I mean, I talk a lot about LGBT stuff and there's so much pseudoscience used to shut down conversation because it serves capitalist interests, which even science, as we understand it, is heavily boosted up into the mainstream through capital. I mean, the Rockefellers and stuff are like the ones who manifested like scientific medical care. They funded all the programs and the experts that we kind of are just new generations that we're dealing with nowadays who control all the narrative. But that's kind of left out from the liberals because they view science as neutral. But class actually impacts it like look at the funding who's funding the studies what are these organizations goals like why is monsanto saying everything's fine like maybe there's some thing besides just science maybe there's not a neutral aspect because even with like covid you can see they've changed studies by like removing subjects and stuff and it's like where, where's the rest of the story what's the background of all this research and science like is it really science or is it just propaganda <laughs> yeah, I just learned today, which I think, I don't know if everyone knows this, maybe everybody except me knew this, but that the Gates Foundation is the second largest donor to the World Health Organization. Like that is, that's significant. I'm surprised they went the first. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and we'll get into the Gates stuff later. Um, I mean, because they use the idea of science and technology to spread like eugenics all over the global south, particularly in Africa. But before we kind of go into these details, I, just kind of, I wanted to conclude on how science was like lost into the grip of, grip of the capitalists. So around the time of Marx, science was kind of transforming because, you know, the body of knowledge was growing to a new extent. The simplistic scientific method, which was kind of designed around basic mechanical physics, was like less useful. So what I mean is, um, like in like in classical physics, you had to isolate an object to really understand it from its environment. But as we started learning more complex systems, that doesn't work, right? Like if you isolate a cell from the body, the cell loses its function. Like you need it to be in its environment. I mean, this applies to society too. If you like isolate a nation and don't understand it in the context of, of imperialism and the world economy, you don't really understand 
like the politics of that nation. So Marx kind of came about with his theory of history around this, actually at the exact same time that Darwin came out with his theory of evolution. And that's not a coincidence. And there's always a th- there's also a third person that people don't know about, Lyle. He was the one who kind of said that the earth changed over time. So you had these three people, Marx, Darwin, Lyle, coming in and saying, uh, things are very complicated, things are changing constantly, and they all presented a new way of analyzing the world, right, beyond the scientific method. Marx went through all kinds of histories of all people, of all class society, and kind of figured out how everything's relating to each other and how everything's evolving from one another. Darwin sailed around the world and observed animals and their environments in all kinds of places to really uh, map out the process of evolution. Because obviously, like, if you want to experiment, you can't just create, like, Marx couldn't just create a revolution to prove his theory. Darwin couldn't just evolve something in front of him, in front of his eyes, right? Like, these complex systems needed a, a more complex method. So on the Darwin side, the capitalists welcomed this because not only was Darwin introducing and advancing science, which is good for capitalist development, but Darwin was also challenging the kind of ideological basis of feudal rule, and the capitalists wanted to overthrow and you know replace that feudal rule. But that kind of thinking was deeply tied into Marxism, and that was also a problem for, for capitalists. So like that transformation of science into this higher form kind of hit a dead end, especially in the academy. Marxism is kind of banned from the academy, so the dialectical thinking is kind of removed. And that affected evolutionary biology too. So that resulted in a kind of very reductive science that resulted in opinions such as there's genetic differences in races, right? This is something that scientists still believe. Eugenics. Yeah, that the world's population is too big and that's what's causing climate change. And this is something scientists actively believe right now, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, many scientists will conclude that like straws are causing climate change, right? And that results (laughs) in a policy change. Like this is all science, right? This is the science of capitalist ideology, it is actual science because people are studying, they're forming conclusions, but obviously the science has a bias and the science doesn't explain the bigger bigger picture because the method of understanding the bigger picture was kind of destroyed because Marx was causing a problem in, in science in general because Marx was kind of advancing the scientific method beyond into society and history. But now today, if you just extrapolate all science is now tied to the capital of like highly funded Ivy League schools and big pharma. Like these are the driving forces of, of ideas right now or or Bill Gates, right? Yeah, and then pharma and the Ivy League schools, pharma literally is writing the textbooks for all the Ivy League schools for all of their science programs, right? Like yeah. they are they're you, you can hardly separate the two. Yeah. We can look at the opioid epidemic and how doctors push it under false pretexts of it not being like highly addictive and it turned out to be extremely addictive and caused mass deaths. I think for our age range, um, fentanyl is like one of the number one causes of death in like the last year. It's like that was science and it killed thousands of people. (laughs) Yeah. And like they just, they just blatantly lied to sell products. Mm -hmm. And now if you show any skepticism to that same entity, you're just faced with being called anti-science. Like I've been called anti-science. I've been called, you know, if, if I challenge the mandates, for example, I'm called anti-vaxxer. If I criticize uh, Pfizer, I'm called anti-vaxxer. It's like, it's, we're in a very bad situation right now. The ruling class has such hegemony over science that, 
you know, if you question ideas, you're you're accused of being like a right winger. And it's funny because it'll come from people who never thoroughly studied science at all, but they'll talk to PhDs in STEM, for example, and tell us that, you know, we're anti-science, but we're like, we spent like decades studying science. So, and, and being a quote unquote expert in the, in the field, but because we can actually understand the process and challenge when it's being misapplied, now we're, we're, we're obviously, we're all of a sudden anti-science, like, it's, it's just a right. joke, but again, it plays into the role of scientific literacy. People just don't really understand what science is. So I think breaking that down was actually pretty good. It actually goes in reverse, too, because they think no one should have an opinion on science unless they like practice science, which kind of ends up gate- gatekeeping knowledge. Like If that was the case, no one's ideas of like revolution should be taken seriously unless they practice revolution, right? Like That's yeah. what Cormac Ray said. But, but they'll use that to shut down arguments against big pharma. But at the same time, like you said, they'll then turn into scientists when they're countering skepticism. So it's, there's like no winning with these people. I think also if so many of the experts within these fields of like pharma and academia, that there's a fear of there's only so many limited spots in these highly esteemed positions. So to be proven wrong or to not toe the line that keeps you in that position feels like a threat to them like this is we're seeing now a lot of people who are supposed to be getting these good jobs there's no more jobs for them so now they're kind of all mm-hmm. fighting each other among the like petty bourgeois academically changed are trained young people and now we're all seeing everyone kind of go for it because they know if they toe the right line they're going to get that position over someone who may you know challenge it yeah and i mean isn't skepticism kind of the basis for one of the basis for science right like that is the whole point of how science improves is to be skeptical it's also the basis of marxism you know i mean that's the whole point of the peer review process is is, is skepticism right yeah so here i mean we've gotten to the point we're two years into the covid pandemic and the propaganda has been so incredibly strong that if one uh, expresses an ounce of skepticism towards anything that we are presented by organizations such as the CDC or the World Health Organization, which they both present conflicting policy suggestions in themselves, right? We get labeled like crazy shit, like white supremacists or murderers or any, anything someone can think of, they'll just call you that. Ableist. Ableist. Uh, so, I think it creates an incentive for people to never portray themselves as a skeptic. Like I think a lot of people who have questions in their head just will not let themselves say them out loud, say these things out loud, because the threats against you that you can receive, if you express any sort of skepticism, it's like pretty, it can make you really uh, depressed. And there's a lot of reasons to be skeptical and not just because these pharma companies have done bad things in the past. But because they continue to do bad things now, and then the state ends up being like their agent, and like you said, saying conflicting things. Like I remember back when the U.S. had no mask production, so then they were saying masks don't help or don't wear masks. When clearly, obviously, a mask would help, and there's there's nothing wrong with wearing a mask, but they just didn't want to be held accountable. 
Then they said a vaccine is going to stop spread, but obviously that didn't happen. You can go back to normal life after you get vaccinated. Yeah, but then they didn't want to admit that it, that it actually spreads, which is okay. Like, it's fine if it spreads, but they just didn't want to admit it. Yeah, I mean, we're dealing with companies like Pfizer, which had to um, settle the largest healthcare fraud ever discovered in history. It was like $2.3 billion settlement for fraud um, in like 2008, I think. And how many instances like that has Pfizer had alone? But that was the biggest healthcare fraud ever in history. So these are the entities that we're working with. And these are the, the entities who are presenting us with the sciences that we are told to believe when, as we can see throughout time, throughout like the years that they've existed, that capital is really their main incentive, right? Well, if these companies as well, like for so many of them for so long, vaccines weren't a, like a profitable venture, but with COVID came the desire for, peop for, for massive government funding to pay for all these vaccines and suddenly... Pfizer and Moderna and all of these companies start pushing vaccines. And now whenever their quarterly reviews or whatever come around, they have a new vaccine to roll out because mm -hmm. now there's actually a government that's willing to massively fund these corporations because because I don't know why. <laughs> but, but I'm, glad, I'm glad you I'm glad you brought that up, because I think that plays into the traditional role of vaccines and why I think some people are kind of. Uh, be sus about these vaccines that have been rolled out for COVID because why was vaccines not profitable back then? Because traditionally vaccines were categorized as being able to boost immunity, right, to prevent uh, infection. Infection that was that was their goal, right? They were supposed to trigger your immunity and give you an immune response that would prevent you from getting reinfected with the same disease, right? That was always traditionally how a vaccine was talked about, and as we all know, the cure is not as good as the treatment, right? That's always been the the unspoken uh, rule in medicine that everybody knows that they don't want to sell you the cure because it's not as profitable. That was vaccines. Like, it wasn't as profitable, but they had to develop them because the diseases that va these vaccines were treating in the past were too deadly and killing people off. But fast forward to COVID, it's, it's, it, it then becomes strange, right? Because people, we, th these vaccines were being talked about when they were pushed, it was going to be pushed as, oh, they're going to prevent reinfection. They're going to help us get herd immunity because you're going to prevent people from getting infected, from spreading it. And uh, they're going to protect people from getting hospitalized. Now, I've always, I'm on the timeline, I've always uh, championed the vaccines for doing their job in terms of preventing hospitalizations, especially in the U.S., where the infrastructure is trash, and we'll talk about how that actually is probably the foundational solution to actually handling COVID. But the healthcare infrastructure is trash, low amount of hospitals. They didn't build hospitals to address COVID at all. It was just, it's just bad. So preventing hospitalization is, is takes the stress and the workload off the healthcare workers as well as the healthcare system. You can also get into it that because you're able to deal with the uh, symptoms better and be more asymptomatic, that it's less time that you're carrying the virus. So maybe you're reducing the spread by being a carrier or a reservoir for less time. So that, I mean, that's not, I don't, that's, I don't think that's been scientifically proven, but that's something that you could, you know, uh, uh, you know, kind of like uh, discuss and kind of uh, allude to potentially. But 
the problem was, and early on, people kept pushing it as a cure. They kept pushing it as, oh, if you take it, you'll be good. You won't be able to affect anybody. And that messaging really messed everything up in, ter- in terms of of uh, in terms of trust because it got to a point where people took the vaccines. Obviously, they weren't getting hospitalized fine. But people who were vaccinated were still getting it, right? And there was a lot of people empowered, especially who were saying that, oh, once you get it, when you get it, you won't be able to get it again. You'll be fine, blah, blah, blah. And then obviously that wasn't true. And then they start changing up the message and like, oh, no, you know, it just <laughs> creates antibodies for a certain amount of time. You'll be you'll be uh, you'll be good, though. Uh, it will help you uh, fight off hospitalization. But then they made this statement and this statement was never shown to be correct. They said, oh, it's and uh, getting the vaccine is better than natural immunity. So if you got COVID, you recovered, you still need the vaccine because you still need to boost your immunity. Like, the, if you go into the trials, that's not a, that's not something they look. They did not compare vaccine boosted immunity to natural immunity, and the whole purpose of the vaccine is to mimic natural immunity because you're introducing the infection in a way that's not going to be as detrimental as the actual infection to generate an immune response to that infection. So if you already got the actual infection, you already covered. Basically, got a vaccine because that's the whole point of right. a vaccine. Like, that's literally the whole point of a vaccine. So when you hear people say, no, argue in a way that says the vaccine is better than, than a natural immunity or that you still need the vaccine if you got natural immunity, it's like you don't understand then the whole purpose of a vaccine. You don't understand the whole – you don't actually understand the immune response. And if you're saying, well, if you get COVID and you recover, you can still get it again. Well, duh, because if you get the vaccine, you can still get COVID. It's the same thing. Like – just because you you have immunity doesn't mean you're going to not get reinfected with this virus like we're seeing that based off the way the virus engages our bodies and how it mutates we're seeing that so it's like Mm -hmm. I always say this from the beginning and people have that video of me saying this from March I said this is going to be like the flu because if you look at how viral it is you're never going to be able to contain this like ever right the uh, you're always going to be able you're always going to have a situation where you're always going to have breakouts because it's just so viral. It's going to be constantly in the population. There's so much travel. It's going to mutate. It's always going to be able to get loose. Like getting rid of COVID was never going to be a thing. I said this from the beginning, but I always talked about that because we're so advanced in medicine now than when the flu first came. You're able to see these things where government can push in billions of dollars, billions of dollars, even if it's for a profit incentive to find a treatment that's going to reduce the impact of it. So, you know, people talk about the how deadly COVID it is. I don't want to downplay any of the, the deaths that happen. But if you if you actually when you look in your science, right, you look at data, you look at it as relative. If you look at what how we dealt with COVID compared to how the flu happened, well, it's it's not even close. Like if, if you want to look at what the Spanish flu did, right, when it came onto the scene, if if that would have happened now, it would have been the apocalypse based on how people reacted to COVID. Like if we would have had the Spanish flu numbers. It would have been the apocalypse. Like that, the, the amount of deaths from that was ridiculous. But because we have modern medicine, because we have uh, the certain approach to dealing with these breakouts, we're able to kind of get it under wraps quickly, even with the piss poor response from the U.S. But because they were able to just generate medicine that could deal with it and generate treatments that can prevent hospitalization, we were still able to get it under control. So it was there was never going to be a post-COVID world. COVID was always going to be a thing. 
in this world. So what what makes me upset then is when because like when you understand as a scientist, right, you understand that aspect of it. What makes me upset then is people trying to somehow keep certain uh, control measures that the government is implementing. And in terms of the sake of public health, when we know, for one, the government doesn't care about public health because if it did, it would actually be targeting the healthcare system because that's the way to solve public health situations, not generate all these mandates that are designed to, uh, to essentially boost big pharma profits because you're just pushing shots. It's, it's to make sure that you have the infrastructure in place, you have the workers in place, you have the training in place, right? You're able to provide the masks that you want people to wear, right? You have warehouses developed for these masks. What's the common thing for all of these to generate all of these? You need nationalized economy because you need the state to actually force industry to actually make these things. So the root situation comes to the healthcare infrastructure, to the obviously to the house uh, sciences is, is a is uh, constructed in your society. Also, your insurance. Like it's so crazy to me that for the ye- longest time we always talk about the left and the west about oh we just had universal health care. That's all we want. We that's all we want. Like no one talks about that right now. And no one talks about. Like I, I said, I, I, I said this a while ago. I was like, bro, what happened to that? Like a pan, <laughs> whole pandemic hit, and it's like that whole message just went away. It's like, bro, that this was a time. Where that right. should have happened because this was the time. Instead, yeah, so. like this is the time where it's most crucial, and it never happened because yeah. everybody just kept arguing about vaccines all day. Right. Everybody just kept focusing right. on whether right. you took the shot or not. Just quick tangent: like, notice how the Russian attack on on the Ukraine military bases immediately resulted in like an anti-war movement. I would have imagined that a COVID pandemic would have resulted in a movement to like completely nationalize healthcare, but it didn't right. happen. Instead you have, you have like leftists going onto the streets protesting for vaccine mandates and not protesting for, uh, you know, More nationalized healthcare. Like that, that's what moved. Yeah. Hospitals in New York city decreased over the past. Yeah. Years, they're decreasing right? hospital beds. Not just beds, just hospitals. Period. You're in the streets to protest for vaccines because you see some right wingers, or you see right wingers co op, uh, not co op, also uh, latch on to the skepticism of vaccines. So you go out in the streets because it's a visible topic to go and protest for mandates, completely missing the big picture of the reason why this, the response was adequate. You don't have health care, you don't have the health care infrastructure because you're ran by a capitalist state. It comes that down to capitalism right. at the end of the day. So all the principles that and all the core positions that we were supposed to, uh, or these leftists were supposed to supposedly have, it just disappeared. It just disappeared because of the mainstream, the mainstream messaging of vaccines, and it, it speaks to the liberal tendencies of Western, of Western leftists. And you see in the same thing with the Ukraine situation. How many of them are apologists for NATO? How many of them are apologists for the U.S.? How many of them all of a sudden want to say we want a uh, peace? How, how vocal were they when AFRICOM was running rampant in, on, on the continent? How vocal were they with that, with the, with the Middle East? I mean, obviously you have some anti-Paris who are saying this, but how passionate were they about these subjects? Because even 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 the leftists made jokes about, you know, bombs in the Middle East. But now all of a sudden, you know, Ukraine's off limits, even though it's ran, even though the government is ran by, is, is, is ran by neo-Nazis, like that's not even 
Like that's already been proven, right? I mean, I'm not even going to get to their geopolitical uh, discussion. That's already been on the timeline. The the thing about the right-wingers being against the mandates is the right-wingers know who the enemy is, at least. Like they hate the big pharma companies, right? The left, for some reason... They hate the liberals. Yeah, they hate the liberals and they hate the big pharma companies. They hate the new liberals. Like these are the people actually in power right now. Yes. The left, for some reason thinks the right wing who's not in power is a bigger enemy than the ones who are actually in power. Oh they think God. the far right is in power. When, <laughs> like you said, it's actually the liberals and the, uh, the, the centrists. So it's the centrists, the liberals, the, the fake progressives. Like, these are people who host the power. When you get the, when you get the uh, Republicans that come in, but even still, you still have to maintain the liberal uh, position Right. That's why they have that's why they construct the government the way it is with Democrats, Republicans. You still have to have that because ultimately that's what they want to preserve. They want to preserve that order because they know that's the way they can continue. Right. Because people don't understand a lot of lessons were learned from Nazi Germany in the sense that even though we 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 support Nazi ideology, it's the ultimate manifestation of their belief, unhinged and uh, unhinged. Uncontrolled is that they understand it's self-destructive. So when they saw how dangerous going too much to the right and giving that too much uh, leeway went into, they had to come up with better buffer systems to absorb it and to but to main, make sure that they doesn't get to the point where it's self-destructive. And that's why you see so that's why everything gears towards in terms of the media, in terms of mainstream, or geared towards liberals in terms of how it's portrayed how it's uh, in terms of how the messaging is done media-wise. But then mm-hmm. in actual practice and actual engaging in life, you know, you see a lot of people have conservative values, quote-unquote, in, in their own personal life and in real life. But when you look at the media, the liberal messaging of blending in all these type of I- ideas and topics, right? The re- why do they do that? It's for preservation, to make it, give the illusion that you can incorporate everything in, in there, right? So it's, it's all designed for preservation. So... When leftists forget that you know liberals are actually an enemy to the to what you're trying to accomplish, the main enemy. Yeah, yeah, the main, main mm-hmm. like it, it actually it makes sense to why you see so much movements fail because a lot of them they talk about getting co-opted and getting um and getting uh, uh you know lost to the state because they let liberals in they let liberals in they let liberal tendencies and liberal appeasement come in. And then you lose the teeth, right? You lose the teeth of your of, of your movements. You lose the teeth of right. your uh, principles of the Marxist tendency of your Marxist of beliefs, all right, of your leftist beliefs, because you're doing too much to appeal to the liberal mainstream. Because people think that's the way to be popular. People think that's the mm-hmm. way to build mass movement. When really the way to build mass movement is to have results. Because really, a lot of the world. And that's why you see so much of the skepticism with the vaccine. A lot of the, not the world, but a lot of the West is actually, quote unquote, apolitical, right? If you look at the registered voters, right, half, I, th- I think, was it like uh, half of them don't even vote in the general election, right? Yeah. So mm-hmm. a lot of people just don't even care to participate in politics. So there's a lot of apolitical leaning. So those people are more swayed by results, who, like, who has the most money, who has the most infrastructure, because to them, it's like those people are the most successful or who has who like, you know, who has the uh, who's accomplished their goals that they set out. Those people are the most successful to them. 
than people who just have say certain things or say like certain language. That's why people get trolled by being too woke or whatever and all that stuff. Because to people who want to see tangible, it's like we don't care about appealing to a certain language. We care about results to show for. And the left has in the West has geared completely from material issues and understanding material uh, contradictions, and they are focusing on branding and messaging. That's and really culture. what it comes down to. Now, the funny thing is that they attack some people for being populist to the right, but they're being populist to the neoliberals. Like they're being yep. populist to the academics, to the, yep. you know, like that, that entire professional class of liberals that exist in, in the big cities. The laptop class. I feel like that's even yeah. a stretch though. I mean, they're not even populist, I think, because so much of the left has been co-opted through red scares. And if you look at these, most all the parties primarily in the West, they're all people of a kind of clear of people who would normally be considered viable for labor aristocracy they're the people who kind of benefit from the perks so these parties are all co-opted by a class who kind of benefits by shoving people towards democrats whether they say they hate them or not i mean Mm -hmm. it's kind of pathetic how horrible the communists struggle is in the u.s and canada Um, and i think trump um, winning in 2016 really just broke everyone's brains in those parties and they've reverted back to like pre-World War II where they think, you know, like we're in this mega inter-imperialist struggle with um, right. you know, the rise of Nazism. But the funny thing is like the social Dems were the ones who created the situation that brought the Nazis. And guess who's more in line with that than, you know, these right-wing truckers or anti-vax mandates. Like they're just mm-hmm. kind of like blind to like the reality of the world. Like <laughs> It's very interesting. You know, with the thing with the truckers for me, uh, because obviously I'm not one to get involved with people who are hoarding racists and fascists because like, at the end of the day, I mean, that itself, like being involved in those actions and demonstrations where people like that are present in large numbers, that's not accomplishing anything. But that doesn't mean people need to run away from the subject. And that's what, that's the important part that's missing here. Like, you don't like like when it came to uh, like isolationist uh, talk. Like there was Trump has some isolationist talk, right? That was in line with some type of with, with some socialists. It doesn't mean that you're gonna be buddy with Trump and you're gonna try and go rally with Trump supporters around the top subject, but you're gonna keep addressing the subject because it's important, right? So why is it in in this situation when it comes to vaccine skepticism or when it comes to like talking about being transparent with the science? Really, because Pfizer's not being transparent with the with, with the with the clinical trials, you know, no, right. like and then you're even having it. I think what country was it that said they're not even going to report deaths from vaccinated individuals because they Scotland. don't want to yeah, probably because they want quote unquote be used for uh, uh, unvaccinated uh, the anti-vax agenda is like how is that transparent like science is built on transparency of data so that we can right. actually understand what's going on in the natural world like how is that okay how is that ethical there's like no, there's there are, wants to hide their safety data for 75 years until we're yeah. all like all of us sitting here will be dead by the time that yeah you will still be alive uh but we'll all be dead by the time that stuff would be released if it weren't for the judge who said that they must release. I'm going to stay alive simply to say, I told you so. Okay. Um, but with the trucker thing really quick, 
the left talked about every single possible thing besides what the truckers were actually protesting over. Right. right? Like, who cares? Like, why are we arguing over the class class character of the truckers? Why are we arguing over the cultural right. character of the of the truckers? Like, what about the thing that they're talking about? Because communists could have went down there and also addressed the same things from the communist perspective. If the truckers are addressing it from a right wing perspective, you could still talk about the issue itself. Like, for example, um, there's like. There's issues with finding jobs here. The truck, the right wing will respond to it by saying immigrants are stealing your job. But right. communists can still respond to that question with their own analysis of why manufacturing has shifted into the global south, right, resulting in job losses here. The question itself is not, doesn't have any cultural character to it. But again, like tying back to the science thing I talked about before, any skepticism towards mandates or vaccines or anything related to the profits of Pfizer is now deemed as right wing. And it's because they made it a culture war, though. You had a great point. The question yeah. itself has no cultural implications in terms, not implications, no cultural alignment. Like, it, it's really no. a question that you need to assess. But the media has made it a culture war. So mm-hmm. now... It's a bipartisan the, issue. The mandates are bipartisan. Right. Like so now the topic matter. itself is culturally loaded right off the bat. So that's why you saw a lot of people shy away from that from, uh, you know, the communist perspective, from the leftist perspective, you saw a lot of people shy away from that because it was like to even address it would kind of have you ostracized, have people looking at you weird. And quite frankly, a lot of people also did not have the scientific capability to assess what was going on. So that's another, again, that's another twofold problem. You have a problem where, you know, obviously it's liberals that control this, the messaging, control the optics, they, they run the whole optics game. And then you also have the fact that a lot of people aren't well-read and researched on these topics and how to apply these tools so they can't actually challenge things confidently enough to want to, to go out there and to say it. Right. Because we, just, to be clear, just to be clear, when we're talking about science literacy, we're not saying you need like a master's or PhD in science. Right. We're saying right. you need basic understanding of like how to read a graph or how to interpret statistics statistical like see data. what's right. a control right. group see what's the right. uh, experimental group experimental parameters outcomes does it make sense with what they were using as a treatment like you don't actually have to know every single term or what the molecules or compounds are actually are and how they came mm-hmm. into them but you just when it comes to experiment what did they test on who did they what what you know what type of subjects did they use what was the outcomes does that make sense with what conclusion is saying based on who they looked at and what they did. You know, these are, science is a way of thinking, but people are not taught to think. Like, look at the way people consume information, infographs, Twitter threads. If that's the way you're thinking, headlines, headlines, right? If that's the way you're thinking, when you go to an article and you actually have to sit down and break down sections, right? You're obviously going to be lost because you're so used to just getting everything spoon-fed, but it's like, you really have to go through the material and, and maybe read over twice or go to multiple sections a couple uh, go to multiple sections uh, multiple times to actually understand what's going on so it, it's it's really bad so, and that and that played a role in people not being able to challenge and just they just kind of accepted what paid off experts say and that's another problem there's another problem i don't think people understand and it irritates me because it's like a lot of these scientists are paid off they are bought right. off like they are literally bought off by yeah. pfizer they're bought off by you know, Genentech or wherever. Like, science is not, sci- scientists are not uh, neutral parties. Right? They're not neutral individuals, right? Yeah, they get, like, they have the left can understand, well, some of the left can understand at least that 
who's that clown who's like this researcher of foreign, foreign policy in, in Xinjiang, like the right winger? Oh, yeah, they, they, they understand it when it's a like, he's, he's, they understand it when he's it's bought a right off, winger. Right? Yeah, when he's a, right. when it's a right winger, they understand yeah. that. But if it's somebody yeah. doing it from a liberal perspective, it confuses them. And it confuses them because they have liberal tendencies. So if it sounds, if it gets sound, if it gets put in a way that is liberal and that aligns with liberal messaging, that it it confuses them because now it's like, okay, well, it sounds like it's good, and they don't do further investigation. And say, well, what is he actually saying, or what are they actually saying, and what is the actual study saying, right? It, like they it, again, they get lost in the messaging because the guy's an expert and he's saying it in a way that sounds good or. It's, it, or it sounds like it's the certain messaging that they've accepted from their liberal friends or liberal uh, group. Like it's just like okay, well, it's an expert saying it, so it must be true. But if it, if it was a if it was a guy saying it and it was aligning with the right wing, right off the bat, it's like oh well, what's your interest? Why are well, you saying this? You know? I mean, the, the right winger science experts are just totally canceled, canceled and censored, right? For yeah. the same <laughs> for the most right. part. I have a question about the science as well. Like you hear people such as Bill Gates, who is not an epidemiologist or virologist by any sense of the term, yet people like liberals still turn to him for scientific analysis for some reason. Whereas if, if I, or if any of us sitting here were to like state our opinion, that it would just be like cast out the window. Right. But we have people like Bill Gates who claims that, COVID will be eliminated, or he says eliminated, right? That COVID will be eliminated when the entire globe is vaccinated. Is that is that correct? He says that? If he said that, I wouldn't be shocked. I mean, he's the, he's the number one pusher of healthcare markets and vaccines across the globe. Yeah. Doesn't matter how effective they are. Like, he uses the whole Global South as a playground, especially in Africa, to test all, you know, his venture capital healthcare projects that he's trying to get off the ground. Right. I think he got, he tried, they tried to get one off the ground for a COVID. I think it was a CureVac or something like that. I can't remember what it was. They came out, got high valuation on the stock markets. I don't even know what happened to that company. It was, it was about to push a COVID yeah. Obviously they didn't yeah. use one. So, so the, the, the thing is, uh, obviously, so a big part of the marketing for the vaccines is you get vaccinated for everyone else. But like King said earlier, like, Yes, the vaccine does work very well to decrease hospitalizations. It does decrease the effect or severity of the disease on you, but it doesn't stop spread. Like you can still get it and spread it to someone else. Um, so the idea that if every single person is vaccinated and suddenly the disease will disappear is right. is, is junk. COVID also spreads through animals, right? Like it's not right. like it'll just disappear off the face of the earth. Right. But Bill Gates is interesting because. Through very careful marketing and strategic planning, he's really positioned himself as a, an expert of science and technology. And the reason is he pushes this ideology, that, which is like kind of dominant in neoliberalism when it comes to foreign policy, that the solution to poverty is innovative technological like interventions. Like if you yeah. can bring technology and science to the global south, their conditions will improve. Um, and so I mean, that's that's what the, that's what the whole purpose of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation is like. It's to spread spread this ideology in order to bring their own like scientific experiments into the global south, particularly oh in Africa, oh and then use that as testing ground before they can bring it into the first world. But as also mm -hmm. to really experiment in in all kinds of technological interventions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and people the the claim 
that vaccine hesitancy is like a white supremacist ideology is absolutely absurd when you actually look at the statistics of who within the United States, but also within the entire global South is vaccine hesitant or just straight up vaccine adverse. Like they do not want this shit because of these historical events and like things that are happening till this day of that type of experimentation that has gone on all around the global South. Like a lot of the COVID experiments that have been done are in places like Africa, India, Bangladesh in particular, because they're like, Oh, let's just experiment on these people so that we know what uh, the civilized societies can do in regards to COVID. But you have, I have a statistical survey from Afrobarometer, which surveys people in Africa, and they looked at opinions of the pandemic and hesitancy in Africa. So they looked at Benin, Liberia, Senegal, Togo, and Niger, um, and 9% of people in Senegal, so that's like less than one in 10, one out of 10 people, sees themselves as, quote, very likely to be vaccinated for COVID. 86% in Nigeria believes COVID will not be a serious problem or won't be a problem at all within the next six months. 77% of respondents believe the same in all five countries surveyed. Um, the, the, The list goes on and on and on, but a lot of the population of Africa does not have interest in these vaccines. And it's not because of just straight up misinformation or disinformation. It's, well, it's multiple reasons, right? Like firstly, they don't have as high of a hospitalization or death rate as the entire rest of the world. Bingo. Um, not, not nearly, like not nearly as high as the rest of the world. And I, as far as I'm concerned, people are trying to figure out exactly why that is. A lot of scientists think that it is due to like lower rates of obesity, lower rates of diabetes, like by a lot. Um, so then that will have a big factor in the lethality of COVID. But also some people are questioning if it's because of the widespread use of ivermectin within the continent as just like a normalized medicine to take when you need it oh it's also like a much younger continent continent right Um, so then that will have like a big impact of the outcome but people are also incredibly aware of these experiments that have been going on uh, at the advances of people like Bill Gates and his cohort of neoliberals we have I have just like a rundown of some a brief medical genocide history in Africa. We have the DTP vaccine, that's diphtheria, tetanus, and pertussis. By 1977, it was known, like scientifically known, that the risks of this vaccine uh, were greater than the diseases themselves. So they were vaccinating children all throughout Africa and causing things like brain damage, seizures, and death. This vaccine was phased out in the 1990s within the U.S., but Bill Gates's Gavi Institute, which is like a vaccine alliance pushing vaccines in the Global South initiative, obviously for profit, is still financially incentivizing Africans to inoculate their children with this outdated DTP vaccine and making it a priority for African children uh, to become vaccinated with that. 
so like I said, more children are dying from that vaccine than from the diseases they're supposed to prevent. With that vaccine in particular, boys are dying at almost quadruple the rate of those who are not receiving the vaccine, and girls have suffered almost 10 times the death rate of those who do not receive it. We also have the malaria vaccine, which was recommended by the World Health Organization, another Bill Gates-funded organization of global imperialists. Um, so in their 2009 to 2011 phase three clinical trials funded by the Gates Foundation, they found that female children were dying of almost any cause at almost twice the rate of children who had not received the shot. And risks of meningitis were 10 times higher. And despite this information, like knowing this information, the vaccines were given to 700,000 children while calling it a quote-unquote pilot implementation, aka experiment. So the DOJ themselves said the recipients of the malaria vaccine are not aware that they're in a study. Like there's, this is just a brief window glimpse of just a few things that have happened in recent history. And you can, I'm sure go research the myriad other atrocities that have been enacted upon the people of Africa in particular. And that's just one continent. In Nigeria, I I can't, I can't remember the vaccine it was, but that case with Pfizer in Nigeria where people had to sue Pfizer specifically, right? So Pfizer being one of the people who made the most, one of the most prominent COVID, if probably I'll say the most prominent COVID-19 vaccine in the world. I think Pfizer probably has that claim over even over Moderna. And they had an issue in Nigeria with unethical practices. Yep. But I'm glad that you list all those points because all those points are actually crucial, important to discuss uh, when you talk about when scientists try to link why there's no issues with it, uh, what was happening. For, first of all, again, um, there's a lot of vaccine hesitancy, hesitancy in Af- in like Global South in general. Like all those jokes about the Caribbean aunties or African uncles and African aunties coming in and saying that, uh, saying that, oh, you don't need this, you just need this home remedy. Like the reason why it's a common thing is because people don't actually really want, on a mass scale, they don't want vaccines there because they feel like they don't need it. Why do they feel like they don't need Africa? Because, well, from a health standpoint, they haven't really been hit the way everybody else has. So when they look at that and they say, oh, we're doing fine from a health aspect, it's like they don't really feel like they would need to take something that needs to help them with something that they haven't had actual issue with. Right. Especially from a country with the most deaths. Like, why would. Exactly, right. No, yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like, uh, no, we don't need it because we're actually not getting destroyed by this actual thing. In fact, for African nations, the actual economic impact of the lockdowns did way more damage to those nations than mm-hmm. COVID actually could have ever done. That's, that's mm-hmm. you know what I mean, like that's something that doesn't get talked about. That, the, the economic impact on the workers from these lockdowns is something like for whatever reason left us is not decided to not talk about on the left for whatever reason. But yeah. yeah can um, we talk about that a little bit? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I'll, I'll get into that aspect um, um, because that's actually one of the things that is why in my early days, I felt like the lockdowns were just never going to work. But, uh, you know, just closing on, on the African subject, but yeah, the, you know, the, you know, they try and, inc- and you know, attribute obesity, low obesity. I don't like using the term obesity because it's outdated in terms of how they rate, measure it, but I don't, the, the logic behind it, right, the logic behind obesity is more so about food intake. What do you actually eat, right? What's your 
your makeup biologically from your diet, from how much physically active you are, right? In Africa, they don't eat as much processed foods as you would see in the West, right? You don't eat as much junk foods. And yes, I know there are people who try to act like there's no such thing as junk foods. No, there is such thing as junk foods, quote unquote, because there, there are foods that actually are produced for the sole prop, a purpose of profit and not for actual health compatibility with the people. It's actually about profit. It, it doesn't it doesn't matter long term if it damages you or not, because as long as you can eat it, as long as they make money off it and it's cheap, that's all they care about. There's not as much as that in, in, in the African nation, or at least the consumption of that. So when you have that and also the challenges African people have in nature, because there's a, this, this is a, a recent thing, and I talked about this in the other pod, is that a lot of scientists have talked about immune priming and also the immune challenges that are facing the global south, which allows them, right, to because they're able to uh, be challenged by so many diseases, right, their immune system is built to respond in a certain way that's different than, let's say, the uh, you know, global north where you're vaccinated against many things from a young age, right? And then when you, you're not, your immune system is not experiencing a lot of challenges growing up. And then that's why a lot of people in the global north are susceptible to autoimmune diseases because it's like your immune system hasn't, you know, gotten the challenges from the natural world, you know, the environment. And, and this is something that, again, let this for somehow, for some reason, did not want to talk about. The environment plays a crucial role, how COVID is experienced, how it's spread. And like, that's something that people just want to somehow ignore. So because you know, between those things, those whole this, this ties in, this ties into my original point where I said like the idea, like the Marxist Darwinist thinking of integrating, uh, the analysis of something into its system is completely removed. Like people just look at things in isolation. Like the body in itself has like some eternal genetic coding that has no, like is not impacted by the environment, but the environment is in a dialectical relationship with our bodies. Like whatever genetics we have are not like this eternal permanent thing that you live with right. and die with. And, you know, like you're it's deeply essentialism. It's a lot of essentialism in the rhetoric, yeah. right? Um, when it comes to sexuality, it comes to gender and it comes to you know uh um, in terms of like body composition there's a lot of just essentialism and essentialist rhetoric so and that's a, that's a, and that's like a uh, that's like a consequence of eugenics being in science for so long like that's just right. a, a carryover from that is that a lot of people do fall into essentialist thinking but you know so like like you said all of these reasons are why africans you know because of all of that, they don't feel like, for a lot of part, or a lot of people in the global south, in, the, in, in these areas, especially that haven't got hit as hard, they don't feel like they need it. And also in South America, right, you have nations like Cuba who are giving their vaccines out, no streets. China has been giving out, um, you know, vaccines free of charge. Cuba has been giving out vaccines free of charge. People haven't don't understand. Like, if you look at some of these deals for the West donating vaccines. Uh, aside from the fact that the infrastructure for like the Moderna and the Pfizer, because you have to keep that cold, and a lot of the global south doesn't have constant refrigeration or constant electricity, like, that's a problem in of itself, right? But aside from those that like those uh, logistics, a lot of these uh, d- uh, donation um, agreements come with resource access, uh, you know, stipulation. Like I think there was one I can't remember what specific country it was. It was one that came with one uh, in terms of active Rwanda. Rwanda had um, a tie with um, some access to one of the resources in the country by giving them vaccines. 
Yeah, yeah. So you, you literally, it came with a resource access stipulation. So it's like, no, they're not going to take that. Because like, not only did they feel they didn't need it, now you're trying to put in extra terms on that at the same time? Me, like the, what the Global South wants is just like the world. They want the open source sharing of information and they want their infrastructure to be built up so they can build their own. They don't want to be like have to take handouts from the West and worry about the consequences of what that comes with. They want to be able to develop on their own and deal with it internally. And, uh, you know, and then just to finish up. Quickly, the leftists are being imperialist in that they're going around telling people that the U.S. is holding vaccines from from the global south that the yeah. US should like go get, go give give it to them but they don't want it what we should be advocating is for is you know like free the means of production like let them yes. have the science and tech to make their own vaccines exactly that's oh, and that's why I've always pushed foremost is let everybody be able to develop if you really want to solve it let everybody be able to develop ones that are effective that they can produce consistently in their own country with the Infrastructure, and they, they don't have the infrastructure. Infrastructure help them build the infrastructure to do it. Like, what does that take? Global cooperation, actual right socialist approach as opposed to capitalist approach. Again, comes back to the foundational issue: capitalism. Right, that's not going to happen in a capitalist society. Yeah, the, the other thing is, an environment in the global south is very different than the global north. So exactly, bodies will be, end up being different, and not because there's genetic differences in bodies, but because the environment is Environmental. very different. So, if you if you develop things around Western people and tested on Western people, it doesn't mean it's going to work the same exactly on every single other environment right. because food is different. You, you know, like, like you said, well, both of you said that, you know, obesity, for example, is less in Africa. That's not because Africans are missing the obesity gene. That's because the environment is specifically different. And that's going to result in anything developed in the global North to be affected differently in those places. So yeah, like we should be at like, what Cuba and China did for themselves, all nations should be able to do for themselves yeah. and, and to be able to do it specifically. But Sam, like I, I saw you mention a couple of times how leftists try to compare the situation here to China and Cuba yeah. in, in an idealist Copy way. Paste well, they're doing a universalism. And I think noticing really early on how the imperialists were tar- are starting to incorporate COVID discourse into attacking nations. I mean, we saw it a lot with um, Lukashenko in Belarus, who didn't have the same issues. So they were actually more lax because they have a very high occupancy of like healthcare beds because they actually were, like, were the one country in Eastern Europe that didn't like completely gut everything. Or like you see it with Nicaragua that was brought up or um, Iran wasn't handling it properly while under sanctions. Or even like African countries, we see countries being forced to open like... Um, I think it was Burundi, um, the IMF forced them open to take vaccines for COVAX through um, IMF debt. And like Eritrea hasn't taken anything because they refused to let any um, NGO from outside um, have influence in the country. So they have no vaccination plan. And like there's this universal idea of like, oh, everyone can do the same thing like you were mentioning earlier. But it's like that's not effective. Everyone has different material circumstances. And like even if these people have the wrong ideas. I think self-determination outranks being wrong. You know what I mean? Like they can come mm-hmm. to their own conclusions for their own processes. We don't need to force them to be correct and be like, you must do this because we're, it's kind of like the West being the savior of all of the world, yeah. but like mm-hmm. through force and violence and when convenient to do regime change. 
which is bad. <laughs> I saw I saw a White House advisor, this guy Andy Slavitt, who has become like a COVID influencer on Twitter and will write these really long threads on COVID that get a, a hell of a lot of engagement, right? Because he he has a large platform, but he in one tweet in one of his threads he called for a troop invasion of Haiti and Africa under the guise of humanitarian aid to vaccinate the populations because apparently they aren't getting vaccinated enough, not to his liking, not to the United States' liking, or Bill Gates' liking. Not to Pfizer's liking. Um, but he said, he in his tweet, he said, we've thankfully pulled our troops out of Afghanistan. It might be time to send them to Africa and Haiti to assist the vaccination efforts and saving lives. And it's like, this is really the ideology that... I see it push a lot. I see a lot of leftists almost say something to this Absolutely. type of vein of of like, you know, even just the the idea that if you're vaccine hesitant, you're white supremacist. That is has like a coercive <laughs> manner to it, right? But they, they openly see, talk about punishing unvaccinated. Yeah, like put the like send them all to um, camps. And I saw some like big leftist Twitter account saying that you should send all unvaccinated people to concentration camps. Or uh, recently, I saw in, in relation to war, like potential war with Russia, say send the unvaccinated people into war. Yeah, yeah, to draft the unvaccinated. But we see this type of humanitarian medical imperialism. Quite frequently, right? Like I found this information recently that the Ebola crisis itself in Africa provided useful cover for substantial escalation in U.S. military presence in Africa. And the U.S. called Ebola a quote-unquote top national security problem for the United States back in September of 2014. And the White House authorized the deployment of 3,000 troops to Liberia, Sierra Leone, Nigeria, and Senegal under AFRICOM. And that alone uh, more than doubled U.S. military presence in Africa. And they even established a new U.S. military base in the capital of Liberia uh, under the guise of, like, saving the Africans from the Ebola crisis. And we're literally repeating the same thing, but to a a massive global scale with the rhetoric that's going on with COVID right now on behalf of the imperialists who are really dominating the discourse here. So I'm just shocked that the left is purposely we haven't even gotten to mandates yet. Like and when we say left, we're not even talking about like anarchists and radicals, like communists too. Like they've been ridiculous with these. With this, it's with just unscientific. Analysis. It's straight up unscientific, and that's the part that pisses me off the most. Like Kings, what you said about natural immunity that the CDC is just finally now admitting is like a thing that exists two years into the fucking crisis. And uh, there, I could think of so many examples like this that is just plain like anti-science shit yeah. by the people who are saying listen to science and like just oh i'm sorry i'm really frustrated so it's also just not marxist or leninist like these people clearly haven't read anything because they refuse to ever engage in any actual effective worker struggle because they don't have the correct lines like that's your job you're supposed to go wherever there is worker disruption out in the streets you should be out there so they can actually like give them a marxist message so they can actually get an understanding and not be taken over by these right wing and like left or like 
left wing liberal right. um, ruling classes or petty bourgeois ethnic groups like right. Black Lives Matter did all the same things that like the truckers did, but no one talks about that because that doesn't fit their narrative. It doesn't get them. They're completely co opted. Yeah. Yeah. Talk about astroturfing. Like I just saw that like $68 million is missing from the BLM global action network records. And they hired Hillary Clinton's people to figure out where those millions of dollars went. That that whole summer of 2020. And that's the thing. Like we had all those protests, right. In summer 2020, that was literally the hot bed of the pandemic. Right. And we had all those protests and it was, you know, giving off is a good call, which obviously I, I, I was obviously okay with like going out and disrupting a capital, disrupting a police forces and all that. But at the end of it, what happened? It, it was co-opted by liberals and we ended up getting police getting more money. So nothing came out of that, yeah. right? Despite, you know, not listening to these mandates, people being okay with mandates being broken uh, and being put in harm's way, which they, which they, after the protest, then decided to become complete crusaders for Right, which right. is staying yeah. home. It's so, like, so, like breaking lockdowns and then suddenly like yeah. pushing lockdowns. Yeah, yeah. So it's like they actually they all of a sudden became crusaders for the lockdown after all the protests that that were popular stopped being popular. They, they became crusaders for lockdowns and everybody staying home. But it's like out all of that and nothing happened because of co-optation. So I, I bring that up to say that anything could get co-opted. We 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 clearly can see this, right? But. Like and we were talking, and we were trying to allude to this earlier. So I want to talk about it now. There is workers' issues with the lockdowns with mandates, and I talked about this on Hello, uh, Hello Black Power when I in, with uh, Blake and Delancey, or no, a boss and Delancey. Sorry, um, when I went on there, uh, 2020. This was right at the start of COVID pandemic, and I talked about that. You know, people still gotta live; they still gotta work. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. like I don't think people understand the way economic. Uh, the way economic uh, stipends were given out to workers, it wasn't sustainable if you couldn't work for remote jobs. Like it was a lot. That's why a lot of rhetoric you see comes from people who were able to work remote or be in academia and still get paid to not have to come in because like their jobs weren't tied to them being physically having to go show up somewhere. Their life got better. Yeah, yeah. You know, their life got. Anymore, you know? Yeah, their life got easier in the sense that they didn't have to go to, into a, a workspace where other people had to still. Again, because of COVID, everybody said it was dangerous, still had to risk COVID to do their jobs, to be able to serve specific people. And even then, it had to be done in a certain way with limited capacity or, you know, all that because they had to comply with certain rules. Right. I know a person personally who was like, you know, like uh, after the COVID, because he has he runs a massage business himself personally. Right. Because he's a uh, he's a masseuse. He's like, I can't I can't I couldn't survive another lockdown. Like, you know, what I mean, there's somebody who has a family, got kids in high school and all that. It's like, I, I, there's no way I can live through another lockdown. How many people you think had that same sentiment? How many people do you know had that same sentiment where it's like, there's no way I can economically survive another lockdown? And remember, it's, yeah. we see the stats that people are home, record homelessness, right? Or record people close to homelessness, record people uh, couldn't able to afford rent because there's no rent freeze with it, right? And that was never something that was people stormed out to demand for, right? Because apparently, you know, because, like, again, for whatever reason, just the you know, just the protest in summer 2020 was the only thing that was ac- acceptable to go out for, right, that mm-hmm. ended up not resulting in anything. And I, and I can say that somebody who organized a lot of it and, and went out a lot of it and was in there getting tear gas and all that stuff, I was out there, all right? So I can say that all that happened and nothing came out of it. But for things that we need, 
in terms of like, you know, having sure we have um, pay leave, having rent freeze and all that. How many things do we shut down for that? Mm-hmm. Things that we actually needed to survive on a day to day. That didn't happen. Now you have a lot of people who had back pay rent, who struggled with rent. That increased over the pandemic. And it's like the economic impact from the lockdowns and mandates. And I always looked at from that aspect. That was completely dismissed by a lot of people for a moralistic standpoint that had a lot of questionable outcomes scientifically from a scientific and public health standpoint. Like people just look over that and disregard the economic impact, disregard the long term health on people. But a lot of people who claim to care about mental health, people just disregard what, you know, being stuck in in, inside does somebody's mental health, how it could do when their bills and stress are piling up and they can't work because they have to stay inside and they have to isolate they get this like people just completely disregard that aspect those aspects mm-hmm. to only mm-hmm. focus on covid covid outcomes and vaccines like it's literally just ridiculous the lack of holistic approach in social issues workers issues uh, overall health and just to focus on one specific aspect being the hot topic of the day like it was is just very bad and it's going to have long lasting implications like it's just going to have long lasting mm-hmm. implications because you know, it's it's like a lot of like a lot of people who are quote unquote on the left have aligned uh, have been shown to be susceptible to align with state uh, corporate uh, relationships. Like now, the state understands that they can get leftists to get on board with big pharma being a savior for public health. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like they can, they know they can do that now. Like they know they can do that now because they just did it. You know what I mean? They I mean, did just did it's very successful what they've done is very successful and there's no consideration for the lower strata of workers i mean right. for the pandemic when it started i was in san francisco levian i was in oakland but i went to san francisco for the before the lockdown went in place and i still worked for like the two weeks while every other tech worker um was at home so i actually would go out to work in a job that's only able to be physical and everything's empty except for a few like mostly old people young people and like people of color who have to work all the like essential jobs and basically you see like months later everyone like oh it doesn't actually matter for us like oh you like i lost my job because of covid and i was a new one in san francisco because the lockdowns lasted like up to like a year if you like kind of include the breaks in between them and like no one had any consideration. Like when Biden won there, people were in the streets and they weren't wearing masks and stuff and they were just breaking all the rules. I'm like, so you're like, I, I know people who didn't go out for a year and like never saw another person for a year and stayed in their house alone. And I'm like, like you did this and like, you're just not going to like say anything like, cause they don't care. They get to work from home and they don't realize they're also being screwed because now they're twenty four seven workers, um, just like Uber yeah. drivers and stuff. Like they're. Um, <laughs> if the leftists like Red Lenin, they would understand that the, you know, the imperialists greatly benefit from times of crisis, especially yep. because they completely wipe out like small business owners, petty bourgeois. Mm-hmm. Like they kind of buffer that exists between the complete total domination of monopoly against proletariat, like these. You know, because, again, like, when capitalism turned into imperialism, competition didn't disappear. Competition just got, like, oppressed by by monopoly. Um, but times of crisis completely erase, erase that strata. So it's not just, like, the lowest strata. It's also, like, all, all, of, all, all levels of class besides, like, the professional class that you mentioned, mm-hmm. 
greatly uh, suffered. Um, and, and people always, people are always like, especially like Western Western communists are like, well, China and Cuba have no anti-lockdown, anti-mandate protests. I'm like, okay, well, their people not only, I mean, their states not only they don't have mandates. I mean, well, that's one thing, but those states have fostered a lot of trust, especially when it comes to healthcare, especially Cuba. Does China um, have mandates? I, I can't remember if they had them or not. So no, China's, China's um, revoked local mandates because it initially some regions were doing so. But like you mentioned, like, um, China is so like different because China had right. the czar's outbreak and that was extremely deadly. So like the mentality is just completely different. You can't impose a mentality that doesn't exist already in a population like you don't like America's. It's not just that they yeah. they brought people food, right? They had they had infrastructure. They had community yeah. organizers like, checking in on people, right? And I'm not talking about just you know rag, a ragtag group of like mutual aid people. It's just a structure of community people checking in on people, delivering food, um, providing income for those who can't work, even providing income to businesses. Right? Yeah, I was saying shutting down factories to like make mask producing factories. Building hospitals like in two weeks. Yeah, they built two hospitals. Yeah, that's the power of you know having control of the state. Yeah, so the people, who, the communists who try to apply what Cuba and China are doing here to the United States, does not uh, it does not overlay. It's not that way. That is not. You can't copy paste yeah. these types of things, right? right? right. I wish you could. I am totally in favor of what China has done. Like, I wish I could live there because that way of handling COVID, in my opinion, especially up until this point with Omicron and Omicron be like potentially creating a buffer for them, like going forward is like a much less deadly version of this. Is like I'm totally down for what China is doing. Um, and it has nothing to do with my like stance against mandates. I we have so much to talk about. I'm trying to figure out like I know we cannot fit it all in. We can do two episodes too. Yeah, if you guys are down, I'm down to do two because I I definitely wanted to get into the bulk of like who these entities are, these organizations. Mm-hmm. And how they operate, and then also what these digital IDs and shit like this. Yeah, I think we should do a part two. Uh, I think we one one of the main points you brought up that I think we should. Uh, yeah, I'll, I'll try to flesh out a little bit was uh, the culture aspect. Uh, I know you guys know Ali on the timeline. Uh, he addressed he addressed this like can't he said this a little bit early on. He said you can't bring up China and Cuba because their people trust their government. One, their government will try to do right by them when it comes to public health too. Like there's a, it's a level of, and I was talking to my brother yesterday, like people try to always make China seem like the people are against their government in the West because they, they're drunk on propaganda. Chinese people are some of the most nationalistic people in the world. Like they have a lot of faith in the government because my brother was talking about, my brother, mind you, games a lot, all that. He don't really engage politics. He straight up said, there's a lot of people in China who come from poor backgrounds know that didn't have much and saw the government completely change their life materially so when you see your government do that for you all that rhetoric and all that propaganda of all oh, this authoritarian this author-, like bro a lot of people did not have proper sewage like just decades ago like Even- people understand the type of like what what china like what people have gone through over there because they don't dialectically look at environment history and all any of that type of stuff like they're just drunk off talking points but like when you have that type of when you have that type of progress in with your people, 
your people trust you for do by to do right by them because they've seen it and they know you're going to provide the results and they do they provide the results same thing with cuba so it's like it doesn't need to be a mandate because they're going to do what they need to do to get by because also those people have communal ways of thinking they're thinking about how can we all help each other get through this like that's what they think but it's always about the community and like it's already embedded into them there's no individualist aspect to it like you see in the west which is why you have so many yeah. competing arguments and talking points because that's already embedded so they don't need to to mandate people to do something because the community trusts the government to do what they need to do and they're all willing or most of the people are willing to do that already right it's a cultural difference yeah yeah and, and for the listeners like this is a great example of the superstructure like the socialist economy in china fosters this kind of trust and the state can form policies that don't really force anything on people. People are just ready to move forward. While in the U.S., everyone's competing against each other, and everyone's victim blaming each other and like lying to each other and accusing each other of their problem. Like the liberals will accuse the unvaccinated people. The right wing will well, rightfully accuse like the big pharma companies of kind of manufacturing all this death. But the pharma companies are competing, and right, right, what they can't do the most with whatever they can, right. I think there should also is like I think a lack of critical thinking even when it comes to um, worker governments. I mean, I think this is an issue that's gone back for parties where they just kind of parrot things without even recognizing that like, communist parties and stuff still make errors. So like um, this, it's like oh, we're gonna just blindly like they're socialists, so everything they do is correct. It's like that's not doing Marxism either. That's also just like doing idealism, like. Go mm-hmm. investigate. Like, I know it's hard because a lot of people don't speak Mandarin or, like, um, Spanish. But it's, like, having the extra effort to, like, if you're going to, like, promote these things, like, also investigate, like, the facts and investigate, like, what works. Because, like, what if some of the things they did wrong or made errors? Like, we need to learn from that. We need to learn from these countries. We can't just, like, look at the outside picture and ignore all the errors because we learn from errors as well as, like, successes. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Should we wrap up? Yeah, we can wrap up. I feel like I could rant. Yeah, it's been almost an hour and a half. (laughs) I could rant forever. Like, there's so fucking much to talk about. I think we should do a part two specifically talking about um, the mandates because that is like a domino effect of um, like epic proportions once they start being implemented uh, in a more widespread way, which I do believe they will be. I don't know how you guys feel about that, but I, I personally do think that's going to be a thing. I think you brought up with the digital ID thing, and I think that's why we need uh, the second episode will be good because I think it won't just be about COVID too, because then we can talk about the Great Reset and the fourth right. IR, which is tied to these implications. The implementation you mean the anti-Semitic conspiracy theory? <laughs> <laughs> right, even though the WEF like openly says this, and the WEF has trained world leaders like uh, Trudeau in right. Canada, like this, this is not right, some right. conspiracy. This is something right. they openly say like, and wrote and written about, right? Because I mean, and you see mm-hmm. that with school, right? Because like in Flint, what happened? They're trying to move everybody into not being physically in school, literally only going from online only. And that completely messed up my younger sister. So that's something I take personally because it completely messed her up in terms of her engagement in school and how she focuses. So it's like, you know, people don't understand. People look at these things because they're so ominous and they're so like, wow, like, like cunning and like 
evil and implementation in terms of changing the world. But it's like, that's how it works. Like, that's how they <laughs> manufacture societies to generate profit in the way that they want. They have to create the world. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. So you have to be able to understand what is they're doing and how to counteract that. Like, that's not something you shy away from and leave to the conspiracy theorists to make, to, yeah. to bog it down and to make it unclear. That's something you're supposed to come in and explain to everybody else in a clear communist, socialist perspective so they understand how it applies to us in a dialectically, in a, in a dialectic sense. So it's like, man, it's like, it's a, it's a lot that happened over a pandemic that just got ignored for the culture wars because, yeah. again, a lot of the left is so caught up in what's visibly talked about, like what's visibly uh, or what's like popular in the mainstream because they can talk about mm-hmm. with their friends who are liberals or their associates who are liberals, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, that they forget what it is that their role is with their politics. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Let's definitely do a whole episode on that. I'm sure that could be another fucking hour, hour and a half. <laughs> yeah. And it it needs this. to be done. Like, honestly, to me that like everything we talked about here is a great preamble to that because the, like get, getting into how this will expand into the future is obviously everybody needs to know this. And like you said, having a communist analysis instead of a fucking Reddit conspiracy forum analysis of it or a capitalist um, uh, libertarian analysis of it is absolutely necessary. And all communists, all anti-imperialists should be concerning themselves with uh, what the capitalist central planning committee at the world economic forum is do what they're doing and what they are openly like very openly doing. So yeah, let's definitely convene soon for part two. Any final statements before we go? Well, I just wanted to say, I feel like we all need to view this new war on COVID as the new war on terror. And until we do that, we're not going to actually treat this seriously. Like this is, Mm -hmm the same thing the war on terror was, but with a whole new cause and we're all falling for it again. <laughs> it's, it's always that aspect, right? The war on terror, war on drugs, war on COVID, like COVID it all leads to more capitalist, fascist policy. Like it's, it doesn't, the playbook doesn't change any crisis state. The capitalist state comes in to implement more fascist control. Like that's just what they do. That's why from the beginning I was always questioning these mandates from the capitalist uh, state aspect of it. It's like, we know what they do in terms of crisis, right? We, it's yeah. not a secret. So it's like, why would you think this would be any different? Like, right. And they don't care about it. It's like, they're not planning for the benefit of people. They're planning for the benefit of profit. And I yeah. think uh, people are, have this delusion that somehow their profit motive does, in some cases, overlap with our benefit, right? And, and that's, that's really what's driving this. Yeah. It's like Still maybe this world. this maybe this time again will be different. It's always that sentiment, <laughs> right? That this time yeah. things will be different. Like no, yeah. this is not different. Yeah, they're not different. Yeah, I'm yeah. sorry. Pfizer 2024. <laughs> <sighs> All right. Thanks you guys for doing this. I really appreciate it because it's like really tense subject matter for a lot of people. I'm sure people when they listen to this are gonna be like some people are gonna get viscerally angry. Yeah, your phone. Um but a lot of people, I think, will find it to be really, really relieving because the whole point of this platform is to talk about things that you're not really supposed to talk about out loud. Um, and when you talk about it with other people, it starts to make a lot of sense. <laughs> yeah, really you know, the does. funny thing about this is you made up a good point. A lot of people 
they internally, like, they internally understood these things. Like, a lot of people internally (laughs) think what we just talked about. Like, they have these thoughts, but because the propaganda, because the messaging, and because the uh, optics is a certain way, they don't, they shy away from having these type of discourses openly. So, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's one thing that I've seen when I've constantly talked about it, and I've always felt comfortable because I knew the science. So I've seen that a lot of people do have these type of, you know, skepticism, type of concerns about what's going forward. Like, you know, this, this is an important conversation uh, because it has large scale implica- implications going forward. Um, so they, this has to be had. Like, we have to confront the post-COVID world and the fallout from it. Like, yeah. th- these are but important this, this subjects. This has happened a lot, right? Like, there was a time where you can't, you couldn't talk about Palestine. And then there was, a, I remember even maybe three years ago, there was, or two years ago, there was a time where you couldn't talk positively about China, right? There was a time where you just couldn't say certain things. Uh, I think uh, even like challenging the sex trade, like there was a time yeah. in the left, in the American left, where you even just, you couldn't say be, Saying the word communist or saying yeah. that you're a communist is only in like what the past, really only since 2020 have people been like, oh, that's not a, such a horrible, evil word. Right. <laughs> So I think like talking about things, you know, eases it up. Um, hopefully people listening will now air their opinions that they were very likely also having, um, but they, like, they were afraid that their opinions were reactionary because they aligned more with the right wing than the liberals. The, the, the thing is that the right wing, uh, they could be correct about something. They just not, they may not have the right analysis for why, Right. but the reason why they end up being correct sometimes is they're not afraid to challenge the dominant neoliberal like ideology, right. right? They openly want to challenge it. Where with the left, they're afraid to challenge it because they're, they're afraid to be canceled or whatever. It's yeah. cha- they're afraid to challenge it in a, in, in a way that doesn't optically align with what's accepted. Um, you know, that's right. why when you see the situation with UK and Russia and people are struggling to understand why Russia is being so aggressive with uh, going to Ukraine, like I whether I support them being going on the capital or not, the fact is, it was if, if for them because of how you know the shellings were in Dunbass, because of how NATO aggressive NATO was being, it was either we act now or it's gonna happen. NATO's gonna come up eventually. It's like so for them, it's like we're not gonna accept that. So we have to do something about it now. And it's like what people understand with the struggle, right? Sometimes. Is a lot of decision like it's gonna be, it's gonna require some ostracization. It's gonna require some, um, you know, uncomfortable uh, conversation or uncomfortable uh, actions because that's that's the world we live. Like like the enemy will never relieve anything easy, ever. Like I, I don't like people expect it to be some peaceful or some like very quick, uh, passionate transition to come. No, that's not gonna happen. Like that, that's never going to happen. So I think people, uh, when it comes to like, like, for example, like you talk about how the right wing have a popular, uh, have a correct opinion and people uh, still understand it's so wrong. And that's like the leftists know liberals can do that. So it's kind of weird when they kind of look at the right wing and be like, um, that's not possible for them. Like it's possible for anybody to say, be correct, even though they're not using the same perspective and they're not applying it in the same way. Like, right. We all understand that's a possible thing. So it's like, as as, so, as socialists, as communists, we have to say, okay, this position is materially is it materially correct? And if it's materially correct, and this person who's reactionary agrees with it, why is he? 
wrong about how they're going about it. Why should we go about it this way instead? That's how we should always do things every single time when it comes to controversial topics in, in the public. Yeah, definitely. And by the way, I know we probably should have said this at the beginning, but everyone in this conversation is vaccinated, by the way. Yeah, yeah that's <laughs> boost, boosted up to, uh, unfortunately for me, because I didn't even want to take the boost. Hey. Yeah, you yeah, have to for, for, for school, right? Yeah. I, I, I graduated right as they were implementing those, those mandates. They're so. going to have to hold me down to make yeah. me do that. Actually, to, to go to my own graduation, I have to get boosted, but I'm not going to do graduation. I, I took the booster and got COVID two days after. Like, so. No! Oh, yeah. my God. So. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. All right. All right. Thanks, y'all. And thank you, everyone, for listening, too. Looking forward to talking about World Economic Forum, Great Reset, Digital IDs, all this stuff. Yep. Yeah, Yeah, me too, because that's the stuff that, again, doesn't get talked about time, but it's just so important. Like, again, they leave that to the leftists that they – because, like, the leftists who talk about it, they all look at them as conspiracy theorists. Like, I, you know, even though I have disagreements with Spencer Latu or Corey Morningstar – it's like I respect them for being engaging topics that do need to be engaged. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of yep. people just yeah. shy away from stuff that has to be talked about. Right. Yep. Yeah, we're going to go into the belly of the beast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Have a good night, guys. Have a good night. All right. Bye. Have yeah. a good night. Cheers. Bye. I want to give a shout out to our patrons who support us and help us pay for our operating expenses and keeping this project sustainable. A special thanks to Lillian. Alicia, Logan Gardner, William, and Maddie. Thank you all for listening, and we'll catch you next time. The
dark matter to a possible big crunch A ravage of the universe today It's full of strange sounding ideas How lucky we are to live in this time The first moment in human history when we are, in fact, visiting other worlds A still more glorious dawn awaits Not a sunrise, but a galaxy rise A morning filled with 400 billion suns Rising of the Milky Way. A still more glorious dawn awaits. Not a sunrise, but a galaxy rise. A morning filled with 400 billion suns. The rising of the Milky Way. The surface of the Earth is the shore of the cosmic ocean. Recently, we've waded a little way up, and the water seems inviting. 